Greetings. We are grateful for your prayers and support while we have served in Cambodia for almost the last 14 years. In just a few months, it will be 14 years since I was ordained and left for Cambodia. And we're grateful for this congregation's continued partnership in the gospel ministry there. Now let's turn to God's word. Luke 4 was read earlier, which mentions this story today. And now I will read the sermon passage, which comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. Young worshipers, while I read the passage, think about this question. Why do you think Elisha won't go out to greet Naaman? He invites him to his house, but then he stays inside and won't go out to see him. So 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 16. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. And wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near to him and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored, like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, 
Help us to give attention to your word. Make us hungry for your word. Satisfy our discontented hearts with your love and your salvation. Humble our arrogant spirits and make us poor in spirit so that we may fully rely upon you. We pray all of this in Christ's name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. In Cambodia, where most are poor, getting a lot of money is seen as a way to cure all your problems. Having status, position, and the right connections are the way to get things done. Maybe you've encountered this type of thinking in Dallas, too. So let's look at this passage and remind ourselves how God's kingdom works and how God cleanses us from our sins. First, let's look at Naaman, the man in his condition. Naaman is no doubt a powerful man. He is commander in the army of the king of Syria. He had great favor with the king and was known as a mighty man of valor. This man has it all in the eyes of the world. Position, connections, power, wealth. But he is not a worshiper of God. He does not know God. He probably thinks his success has come by his own hand or through the hands and the power of the Syrian gods. But we read that the Lord has given him victory. The God of Israel stands behind the success of this Syrian general. God's providence is present in his life, even if he doesn't know it. But, and there is a big but, he has all these things, but he has leprosy. He has this skin disease. For an Israelite, Naaman has two strikes against him. First, he is a foreigner, and he is a leper. He was to live outside the camp, out of the presence of God. Numbers chapter 12, verse 12 says, The skin of lepers is as one dead. Job chapter 18, verse 13 says, It consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consumes his limbs. It wasn't just an Israelite ceremonial law that condemned him. An old Babylonian text says that if a man has leprosy, he has been rejected by his God and has been rejected by mankind. Additionally, a Neo-Assyrian text says that a man with white and black spots on his skin has been cursed. So leprosy is a picture of sin. There's no cure for it. It spreads. It consumes you. It alienates you from God. It puts you under God's curse. It puts you outside the camp and out of his presence. And just like a leper, we have sin, are living dead, still physically alive, but spiritually dead. Let's continue to look at Naaman, but now let's look at his actions. His actions show us that he does not yet understand how cleansing works in God's kingdom. He does not yet understand how salvation comes to God's people. Naaman takes off with a letter from the king of Syria to give it to the king of Israel. Naaman is a man with connections. In Cambodia, connections are very important. Often it's very hard to get things done. And we have a phrase, mean kasai, it means I have a rope, I have a string to somebody who's more powerful and somebody in a high position. And this is the way people often get things done. Naaman goes off with a letter to the king. But all this letter does is cause the king of Israel to be upset. He thinks it is some trap or political mockery. Look at verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. If you look at verse 3, 
What did the Israelite slave girl specifically tell him? She said, go and see the prophet. But when he gets to Israel, he goes and sees the king. He is probably used to riding into places, and the mere threat of a raid or war will probably get many people and kings to give him what he wants. Political games and alliances, Naaman and the king of Syria understand. But the cure he needs from his incurable disease can only come through the prophet of God. The king of Israel, especially probably a godless king of Israel at this point, is of no help in curing him from his leprosy. Cannot give him the help that he needs, the cleansing that he needs. So when Elisha hears of the king's distress, he says, send him to me. So Naaman and his horses and his chariots head off to Elisha's house. Apparently, Elisha did not have a course in Cambodian hospitality. Cambodians are known for being a very welcoming people. You go to their home and they'll bring out some coconuts and seat you in the best chair and make you feel as welcome as possible in every way they know how. No need to call in advance. Stop by whenever. No problem. But back to Naaman. Remember, he is an invited guest at this point. Elisha has specifically said, send him to my house. But he stands outside of Elisha's house, waiting for him to come outside. And I can't imagine that Elisha's house is very big. He can probably maybe even see inside. Who knows? But Elisha sends out a messenger to him. And Naaman is angry. How dare this prophet not come out to me? Does he not know who I am? Verse 11 shows that he wants Elijah to come out and wave his hand over his infected skin and cure him. Maybe much the same in a pagan healer would do back in Syria. Why doesn't Elijah go out to meet him? I think it shows us that God does not show favoritism. We think the commander of the Syrian army is here and he wants to be cured by the prophet of God. Roll out the red carpet. Remember, God does not view people in the same way we do. Should you be more excited when someone important shows up than when someone who you don't know shows up? Should we be more excited when the village leader shows up to church than when a 10-year-old kid from the poorest family shows up? No, God and the gospel shows no favoritism. Showing partiality is opposed to God's way of salvation. Naaman wants to be treated like the commander of the Syrian army, like a man of valor and position. But Elijah treats him like a leper. Remember, he's a leper. He's unclean. COVID taught us about how this really works, right? Even if your best friend came over and you knew they had COVID, you didn't invite them in. You left them outside and you wanted to stay away from them, right? You treated them like the prophet of God treated Naaman. You see, Elijah is relating to him as someone who has leprosy, as someone you don't want to go near. Naaman must be humbled. That brings us to the next point that we learn about God's cleansing. We come to God on God's terms, not on our own. He is to wash in the Jordan River seven times to have his flesh restored and be clean. But Naaman is disgusted by this. He says, aren't there rivers in Damascus that are better than all the waters of Israel? The rivers in Damascus are formed by the melting snow coming off of Mount Hebron. Fresh, cool, refreshing waters. In Bible dictionaries, the Jordan is described as a winding, shallow river that is unappealing to the eye. 
He finds the prophet's methods of cleansing unappealing, maybe even foolish. He's upset, insulted. This guy won't meet me in person, and now he wants me to go bathe in this little muddy river seven times. Does he not know who I am? Notice that God's way of cleansing is narrow. Adjustment by man will not be tolerated. There is only one way to be cleansed, and it is God's way. That is offensive to Naaman, and it is often offensive to man. We must bow before God's ways and accept them. Naaman did, Naaman did not have the right to offer adjustment to God's instructions, and neither do we. Naaman couldn't pick, a, pick and choose what he would do, and neither can we. Naaman could either accept it or leave. And he almost left because he thinks it's foolishness. The same thing people say about the gospel today. Neither can we adjust the gospel. When we come to be saved, we must submit to God's way fully. Remember, the path is narrow. There is only one way of salvation. In verse 14, it says, He dipped in the waters of Jordan seven times according to the word of the man of God. He did exactly what God's prophet had told him to do. Next, we see that pride has no place in accepting God's salvation. Naaman is offended by Elisha and offended by what he has to do. Verse 12 says that he turned away in rage. He is ready to head home, and if he heads home, he's still a leper, still someone who's going to die in his disease. But for him, that's better than accepting this foolish way of salvation. But his servants reason with him to simply follow the simple instructions of the prophet and be cleansed. Notice who he listens to. He has to listen to his servants. The people in powerful positions, the commander of the Syrian army, do they usually listen to their servants? No, they don't. He has to put pride aside and be humbled. Listen to people who are in a lower position than he is. And why is he in Israel in the first place? Who did he listen to? He listened to this little slave girl who was his wife's servant. The great commander of the Syrian army has been humbled. Salvation is not for the proud, but for the humble. Those who say, I cannot save myself, only you, God, can save me. Your way of salvation is better than my own ideas. Not only better, it's the only way that I can be saved. Further, we see that God's cleansing is free. God's salvation costs nothing. There's a a translation issue that arises in verse 13, We read from the ESV, but the NIV Bible translates it a bit different. If you look at the NIV, it says this, Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleaned? If you go with the NIV translation, Naaman is offended because Elijah did not ask him to do some great feat of strength to obtain the cure for leprosy. Right? Give me something to do to show how strong and powerful I am, and then cure me. I did something for you, you do something for me. But that's not how salvation works. Let me earn my cure. A salvation that is free is offensive to him. It angers him. He wants to prove he deserves it. But we can't prove that we deserve God's cleansing in any way, shape, or form. And remember in verse 5... When he heads off to Israel, what does he take with him? 
He takes 750 pounds of silver, 151 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of expensive clothing. The ESB Study Bible says that the value is the equivalent to the annual wages of 600 workers. He's come to buy a cure, whatever the cost, but a cure that is free he didn't understand and didn't want to accept. A salvation that is free is hard to accept. He offers a gift to Elisha, but Elisha refuses it. He doesn't want to risk confusing Naaman. The cleansing he has received is free, salvation is free, and the prophet of God wants no confusion. Further, we see that God's cleansing brings new life. His flesh is restored, and now he is like that of a little child's. Much, of, much like God's salvation brings new birth. We don't get new skin, sadly enough, for those who are getting older, but we get something better. We get a new heart. Gone, gone is the heart of stone, and we have a heart of flesh that believes in God. Now, let's end by looking at this slave girl. Let's think about her. She teaches us, I feel, how to walk after God and to serve in our present society. She's an Israelite. She's been captured by Syrians, who are the enemies of the Israelites. She used to play and study, and now she works as a slave in Naaman's household. Maybe she was about the age of some of you kids today. She was raised to know the one true God. She knew that the God of Israel was all-powerful and able to heal and to save. One day, her whole world was turned upside down. Syrian raiders who often stole from nearby villagers came to her village this time. She was ripped away from her family and carried off with the soldiers. Her whole world had been destroyed. She had every reason to be bitter and filled with hatred for Naaman and his wife. If you were in her position, ripped away from your family, forced to work as a slave, who knows, she may have even saw the raiders kill some of her family as they pulled her away. How would you feel about Naaman? How would you want to relate to him? Now, she sees that her master has leprosy. It's a fatal disease. It's only a matter of time before he dies. If you were this Hebrew slave girl, how would you have reacted to Naaman's condition? I probably would have thought, good, this enemy, this persecutor of Israel is finally getting what he deserves. God has struck him. May he die soon. And when he dies, maybe I'll get to go back home. But how does she react? She has pity on him. She has mercy on a man who should be her enemy. In the New Testament passage that was read earlier in Luke 4, what makes the crowds angry at Jesus? That God healed a Syrian commander instead of an Israelite leper. They knew you hurt those who hurt you, and the last person you show mercy to is the Syrian commander. But that is not the way it works in God's kingdom. Remember, she is a slave, and yet she shows mercy to someone in a higher, more powerful position. She knows that her God is not only the God of Israel, but is the God of the whole world, of every country and every people. She knows that God alone is the only hope of salvation, even for this Syria, Syrian commander. And she apparently was raised in a godly family. She knows who can help Naaman. It's the prophet of Israel, the man of God. We should never doubt the importance of teaching our children God's word. This young girl has a firm grasp on the fundamentals of God's truth 
and knows his power personally and is able to share it and communicate it with others around her. Not only that, she is able to trust God and live for him in spite of her circumstances and the difficult situation that she finds herself in. So at her recommendation, Naaman went off to find a cure in Israel. I think this Israelite slave girl is an example of how Cambodian Christians can faithfully witness and live for the Lord when only about 1% of the population are believers. And also, I think it's for all of you to be able to witness and faithfully walk after the Lord as society here becomes more opposed to God. It's not the first time this has happened. It's not the first time that God's people have had to live in these type of situations. She shows love to her enemy. She is faithful to God in a pagan household. Naaman may be a powerful and rich man, intimidating to her. And if I was around him, I would have been intimidated too. But she sees him for who he is. He's a sick man, spiritually dead, in need of a savior. That's how we need to see the people around us, to look at them in light of their spiritual condition. Also, she knew she couldn't fix his problem. She directed him to go to the prophet of Israel, who represented Jesus, the greater prophet. In our serving and witnessing, we must remember that we can't heal people, but we point them to our Savior, who can heal all their diseases and give them salvation. As we conclude, I'll conclude with this quote from Raymond Dillard. And he writes, and I'll end with this, Wash in the Jordan and be cured of leprosy. What a preposterous idea. I think anything more is ridiculous. Well, maybe one thing more is ridiculous. The idea that putting your faith in a man executed on a cross almost 2,000 years ago can give you a renewed life now, forgiveness from sins, regeneration from the dead, and eternal life. God's promises always require faith. They always look foolish, improbable, unbelievable, unlikely, impossible. But God's seemingly foolish commands, when they are believed, become the power of God to salvation for Naaman and for us today. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this story from your word that reminds us that your salvation is free, free for us and for people from all tribes and tongues and nations. It teaches us that your way of salvation is the only way. So we pray that we would be humbled and gladly accept it. And not only that, as we live our lives, as we walk after you and as we witness to others, may we know that you are faithful and may we point them to you, the God who can heal and the God who can save them. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.